Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Well, I am Todd Stanley. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Pastor Mel, our senior pastor, is uh, with one of our ministry partners this weekend. He is down in, near Austin, Texas. Uh, there's a church there called Rock Pile Church that we actually helped to launch. We, we've supported them as they began the work there, and he's down there this weekend with them, uh, kind of seeing how things are going and preaching for them this weekend, and I think maybe doing some, some leadership things with some of their team. And so uh, we are we are glad to be able to partner with them as well, and so he's down there this weekend doing that. And so I get the privilege of opening God's Word with you today, and I'm so glad that we get... Well, thank you. Uh, you might want to hold on to that until the end. I mean, you, you, you do that up front, you never know. I mean, it, it may not, you may be like, oh, I wish I hadn't clapped for that. Uh, but no, thank you. That's, that's very kind of you. Uh, it is, we are celebrating pastor appreciation this month, and so I want to take the opportunity while I've got the microphone to, um, to say how much I appreciate our pastors, Mel and Kim. Uh, it is a privilege and an honor to work alongside them and to serve um, the vision that they have for this house. And I'm so glad that God called my family and I here uh, to be a part of what God's doing here. And I wanted to just honor them today. And so if you could, I know they're not here, but if you could give them. We are continuing our series through the book of Ruth today, and so we're going to be opening chapter 3 of Ruth, and we're going to try to unpack some of that today. I'm really, really excited. I told Pastor Mel when he asked me to fill in for this weekend, I said, man, you gave me the money chapter. I mean, this is like, this is the best chapter in the whole book, and I'm so excited that we get to open it together today. I really believe that God is going to speak to our hearts, that there's some incredible things in store for us. And so, Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and we're going to kind of catch everybody up to where we're at, and then I want to try to unpack that just a little bit, and then talk today about how this uh, reveals the great, beautiful depths of God's love for us. And so let's, uh, let's dive right in. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse, begin reading in verse number 1. If you have a Bible, you can open it up and read along. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version. If you don't have your Bible with you or you have a different version, it'll be on the screen so you can read along. Uh, but let's, let's jump in. Verse number 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, this is Ruth's mother-in-law, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz, I lost my place, It, it happens. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, we're in verse number seven, by the way. Uh, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. 
And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he, will not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. So let's pray uh, over the remaining part of our service. God, thank you for your word. I thank you that it does not return void. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we open it together today, it will accomplish its intended purpose. I thank you for your great love for us. God, let us be reminded of the depths and the beauty and the breadth of your amazing love. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would call people near to you, that those who are far away would be brought near today, that we would be reminded of the beauty of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. amen. So, let me catch you up to where we're at. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Ruth's cha- Ruth chapters 1 and 2, and, and what's happened is that Naomi Uh, She left Israel. She's an Israelite woman. She left Israel because of a famine. So she and her husband and her two sons moved to the land of Moab. And by the way, I apologize, camera people, I move a lot. Um, so, So they moved to the land of Moab because of the famine. And while they were living in Moab, Naomi's two sons married Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah. And then, so things look pretty good, right? Things are going okay. Their fortunes are looking up. They left the place where there was famine, and they, they found a place where they could settle down and where they could have food to eat. And, uh, and so things are going well. The boys got married. But then Naomi's husband and both of her sons die. Now, the, the Bible doesn't describe the circumstances in which they died. We don't really know what happened. We just know that Naomi is left without a husband and without any sons, and it's her and her two daughters-in-law who are Moabites. And so Naomi decides that it would be better for her if she goes back to Israel because she's a woman in a foreign land alone, and so there's a better prospect for her in Israel where she has family and where she has people who maybe will take care of her. And so she decides that she's going to go back to Israel and maybe be, out, be able to eke out a living there to, to survive, just to survive. And so because she knows that her prospects aren't all that great, she says to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, you guys... I'm going back to Israel, you should stay here. You're still young, you still have your whole lives ahead of you, find a good Moabite man, marry him, have some babies, you know, you're going to be, do okay, I'm going, just stay here, I'm going back to Israel. The one daughter-in-law, Orpah, says, I think that's probably a good idea, I'll stay here, I I love you, see you later. But Ruth, she knits herself together with Naomi, and she says, I'm going with you. In fact, there's a very famous passage of Scripture in Ruth chapter 1, and they often read it at weddings, and and it says this. This is what Ruth said to Naomi. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you lie down, I will lie down. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so she attaches herself. She commits herself to Naomi, and she says, I'm going back with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to let you go and, you know, to an uncertain future. I'm going to do everything that I can to, to, to love you, to support you, to help you. And so Ruth goes back to Israel with Naomi. So that's what happens in chapter one. And then we find in chapter two that they make it back to Israel and it's the very beginning of barley harvest. And so Naomi says to Ruth, go into the fields 
And you get behind the young men who are gathering the grain. And so there will be young men out working in the fields, and they will be gathering the grain up into sheaves. And as they gathered the grain, some of the heads of the grain would fall off onto the ground. And the, the women who were in the situation that Naomi and Ruth found themselves in would go to the fields and, and walk behind the men who were gathering the grain. And as basically as the, the leftovers, as the scraps fell from those sheaves, they would pick up the grain that was lost, the grain that had fallen to the ground, and that's what they would do to try to get enough sustenance to take care of themselves. So Naomi tells Ruth to go out into the fields and to do this, to gather behind the harvesters. So Naomi follows her mother, I mean, so Ruth follows Naomi's instructions and goes out into the fields, and she happens to find herself in the field of a man named Boaz. And uh, as she's gathering the grain behind the, the young men who are harvesting in the fields, Boaz takes notice of Ruth. Ruth. Ruth catches Boaz's eye, right? And he's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and so he asks the young men, who is, who is she? Who, you know, and so the young men tell him, well, that's Ruth, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law who came back from Moab with her. And of course, the people in town have heard about Ruth and what she's done. And so Boaz uh, does a couple of things. First thing he does is he tells his young men, he says, don't lay a finger on her. Right? So already he's kind of staking his claim, like, you know, the guys are going, like, can I ask her out? He's like, yeah, uh-uh. She's off limits. Right? And so... Uh, but he tells his young men not to, not to touch her, not to harm her. Uh, and this is important because uh, often young women who are in the kind of situation that Ruth and Naomi were in, uh, it was dangerous for them out in the fields. They could be assaulted. They could be taken advantage of uh, because they didn't have really any social standing. Uh, women, you know, didn't really have a voice in that society. And so, and especially a woman without a husband would be left unprotected. And so uh, it was, they were taken advantage of oftentimes. And so for Boaz to tell his young men to not lay a hand on her was, was really important and really uh, spoke volumes about Boaz's character. And so he does that, and then he also uh, goes to Ruth, and he says, I've heard about the kindness that you have shown to your mother-in-law. And he gives her... Um, if you, if you measure it out, if you, it's really probably about a bushel's worth of barley is what he ends up giving to her. It's, a, it's almost a month's worth of food for them. And he sends her home with that. And before she leaves, he speaks a blessing over her. He says, God bless you for what you've done for your mother-in-law. And he gives her this grain. And he says, you know, may the Lord protect you. May the, you know, and so then he sends her home. And so uh, she goes home and, and, and Naomi's like, where did you get all that grain? Do we need to hide? Did you hurt somebody? You know, and so, uh, and so she said, you know, so where did you get all this grain? And, and Ruth, Ruth explains to her, well, I, I was gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz today. And, uh, and he, he gave this to me. He, he had heard about what I had done for you. And, you know, she explains the situation. And, and so then Naomi tells her, you don't go to anybody's field other than Boaz. You go there every day. And you glean behind his workers. You go back there every day. And so that brings us to chapter 3, which now we're toward the end of barley harvest. So at the beginning of the harvest, Boaz blesses Ruth, tells her, you come here. I've told my men to, let, to keep their hands off of you. You'll be safe here. You can come and gather here. And then Naomi reinforces that and says, yes, you go back to his field every single day. And now we're at the end of barley harvest, which would have been about six weeks later. So Ruth has been toiling out in the field for the last six weeks over the, over the time of the barley harvest. And now we come to chapter 3. And here's where things really start to heat up. Right? Uh, we read this, and it's not all that shocking to us. It's not a big deal to us. But for the original audience, when they began to read this, I mean, it's not, it's not Fifty Shades of Ruth, but it's pretty close. <laughs> right? And so... So what happens here, and the picture that begins to be painted here would have been scandalous and shocking. 
So we get to chapter 3, and Naomi hatches this plan, right? So she goes to Ruth, and she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Basically what she's saying is, we got to get you a man. I'm old. I'm not going to be around forever. You need to be taken care of when I'm gone. Let's catch you a man. Not only let's catch you a man, but I know just the man, right? Here's what we're going to do. And so she lays out her plan for Ruth. That, that She's come up with this plan, and she lays it out. She says, now Boaz, you know, the guy that you've been glinting in his field all this time, the guy that, you know, showed a liking to you a little bit and gave us all this barley and told his guys to lay, keep their hands off you, you know, that Boaz, uh, he's our relative. Now, it's interesting because Naomi's known this all along, right? It's not like she just found out today Boaz is our cousin, right? It's like, you know, she's known all along who Boaz was. And, and she's been watching this thing unfold. She's been watching the favor that Boaz has shown to Ruth. She's been, she's been seeing how it's been going for them. She knows that he has blessed them. And so she says, he's our relative, right? And he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So let me kind of unpack this a little bit. So at the end of barley harvest, here's what happens. Usually on a hill outside of the village, they would build a raised floor, right? It's basically like a platform up on top of the hill outside the city. And at the end of barley harvest, they would gather up all of the barley and take it up on the hill to the threshing floor. And in the evening, they would take the, grain, the, the stalks of barley and the heads of the grain and they would throw them up into the air. And as they threw them up into the air, that would, the grains, the, the barley was heavy enough that it would fall back down onto the threshing floor, and the chaff would blow away in the wind. And so that's how they separated the, the barley, the wheat, from the chaff, and, and would be left with the good grain that they could use. And this was a, a time of celebration. It was a time of rejoicing in the provision of God. And so as they threw the grain up into the air, they would sing songs, and there was always a feast, and there, they would, there was celebration happening. And so the, the men would take turns. And so if, you know, Monday night, Jim, it's his turn for him and his guys to go up to the threshing floor, and on Tuesday night, it's Bob, and then Wednesday night, it's Boaz, you know, so it's, it's Boaz's time to take all of his grain up to the threshing floor, and Naomi is aware of what's going on, and so she has this plan for Ruth, and she says, now, Boaz is going to be up at the threshing floor tonight, so wash yourself and anoint yourself Put your cloak on and go down to the threshing floor. Now, there's nothing super significant about this. This is just good, uh, good advice, right? She's like, look, if Boaz liked you sweaty out in the fields, then let's dress you up and make you look really good because we're about to catch us a man, right? And so um, if you're going to catch a man, you got to fish with the right bait. And so, um, so clean yourself up, put on your good clothes, put on some perfume, go up to the threshing floor. And she says, but don't make yourself known to, to the man. Don't, don't say anything. Just kind of stay back out of the way until he has finished eating and drinking. Um, man, I guess they've known forever the way to a man's heart. Just... So, uh, so, so, you know, wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Any of you guys get hangry? <laughs> Those Snickers commercials, you know, where it's like uh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And so, so Naomi is wanting this to be the optimum time, right? We're going to make our move at just the right moment. So wait till he's had dinner, wait till he's, you know, had something to drink and he's, he's, you know, sitting there looking at all of the, the, the provision of God and the blessing of God and all the barley and the grain and wait until he's done all of that. And when he lies down, Observe the place where he lies. Now, this is good advice, too, actually, because it would have been really dark, and you don't want to get the wrong guy, right? I mean, so, so she's like, make sure you keep your eyes on Boaz, right? Don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to end up, like, laying at somebody else's feet. This was not going to turn out good. So keep your eyes on him. Observe where he lies down. And then after he goes to sleep, go and uncover his feet. And lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, here is where it gets really scandalous. You see, for us, we, we don't think much about that. Like, okay, she's going to uncover his feet and lay down. That's not that big a deal. But in, in the cultural context that we have here, this is shocking. 
um, it wasn't usually the good girls that went up to the threshing floor. Um, women who were in situations like Naomi and Ruth did desperate things. And so often, prostitutes would make their way to the threshing floor and uncover the feet of the men and lay down there, and it was an invitation. And so when Naomi is asking Ruth to do this, this is a, this is a scandalous, risky move. And the people who were reading this for the first time would have been shocked by the instruction that Naomi gives to Ruth. She asked her to do what? But Ruth replies, all that you say I will do. And so she goes down to the threshing floor. And scripture says in verse number 6 that she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And I can just picture it, right? Um, if you're a parent, you know, when your kids were really small and you're putting them to sleep. And uh, my girls always wanted me to snuggle them in the bed. And they always wanted my arm to be underneath them. I think it was to try to keep me from leaving. Um, so, you know, you get your arms underneath them and you're patting on them and they go to sleep and then you, you wait until just the right moment and then you try to make your move, you know, and you do the thing where you kind of try to push your arm down into the bed and, and pull it out without, without disturbing them and you, inevitably you get your arm about halfway out and that eye opens, <laughs> you know, so you slide back in there. I kind of picture this moment that way where Ruth is waiting and she's like, is he asleep yet? Can I, is, is now the moment, is now the time? Is, so she waits until she knows that Boaz is asleep and then she, she goes and she uncovers his feet and she lies down at his feet. And the scripture says that about midnight he was startled and he woke up. Um, I like to go camping sometimes uh, and you know, when you go camping, sometimes at the beginning of the night, it's really warm, and so you don't, put the, you don't put the sleeping bag on the top of you because you'll get all hot and sweaty, so you leave the covers off. Uh, but then, as the night settles in, and the cool night air comes in, and the temperature begins to drop, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, and I don't know about you, you ever, like, jump when you're asleep, like, oh. And so, um, but, so, you know, you wake up, and then you put the covers back on you. Well, that's the picture that I get here, that she's uncovered his legs, right? She's uncovered his feet. And so, as the night air begins to settle in, and it begins to cool down, he's startled, and he wakes up. Right? And, and I think he's probably waking up and he's getting ready to put the covers back on his feet. And then he's like, what the what? Right? And, I mean, that's, that's the literal translation of behold a woman. What the what? <laughs> and so, uh, but the, no, seriously though, that is the picture that's there. That word behold, it's like, aha! You know, and so he's, he's surprised. He wakes up and there's this woman at his feet and he's surprised. Like he went to sleep, his feet were covered, there was no woman, right? He wakes up, his feet are uncovered and there's a woman here. And he knows exactly the implications of this act. And so he's like, Psst. <laughs> who are you? Who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, she, if she was going to follow Naomi's instructions explicitly, she would have stopped right there. Because Naomi said, just lay at his feet, he'll tell you what to do. But he says, who are you? And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. And then she goes off script. <laughs> She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is a bold, bold move. So, even today, there is, in Jewish wedding ceremonies, this thing called the hoopah. Uh, and it's a cloth and... Uh, they, in mo now, in modern times, they, they carry it on, on sticks. I don't know if you've ever, like, 
seen a Jewish wedding, but so there'll be four men, this cloth, uh, and they carry it on sticks. It looks like a canopy, and it's called the hoopah. And what that's supposed to do is represent the covering of the Holy Spirit and the covering of that husband over the wife. That he is taking her under his shelter, under his wing, right? And so uh, when Ruth says to him, spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer, that is a weighted moment. She has boldly stepped out and not just said, I am Ruth, your servant. She says, I am here for you to marry me. Take me under your covering. Take me under your wings. You are a redeemer. And so not only is it a bold move for that reason, but if you go back to chapter 2, when Boaz speaks this blessing over Ruth and says, may the Lord cover you with his wings. May the Lord overshadow you. May the Lord shelter you. Ruth is now saying, hey, buddy, you remember that prayer that you prayed? You remember that blessing that you spoke over me? I'm here to collect. You're the answer to my prayer. <laughs> Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. And so Boaz responds, right? And he says, do not fear. Or no, he's, first he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that not, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So Boaz again recognizes Ruth's integrity and Ruth's kindness toward Naomi. And so he's recognized her kindness once before, right? He gave her all of that grain and he told his men to, to not bother Ruth and to allow her to harvest behind them. And he even instructed them to drop some handfuls on purpose. Hey, give her a little extra, you know? And, uh, and so, so he's already recognized her kindness once before and now he recognizes it again. And he says, but this kindness, what you've done just now, what you've done in this moment, this kindness is even greater than the last, right? Because Ruth could have found a young man and married. She could have had children of her own and carried on with a new husband and with a new family and left Naomi behind. But she's not run after other lovers. She's not run after the young men. She has, given, she has come and surrendered and submitted herself to Boaz, which will not only care, take care of Ruth, but will also take care of Naomi. And it will also carry on the name of Naomi's dead husband and her dead sons so that their family can carry on. And if you, if you read the remaining part of the book, and, and Pastor Mel will unpack some of this some more next weekend, but apparently there was a piece of property in question as well. And the way that property laws worked in, the, in Israel was that if, if, you were, if you sold a piece of property that you had the first right of refusal. You could buy it back. That the, the person that you sold it to couldn't sell it to anyone else unless, until you had the right to buy it back first. But you had to be a man to be able to do that. So apparently they had sold a piece of property. I don't know if it was to, to get the, the funds that they needed and supplies they needed to move into Moab, but there's a piece of property in question. And so Naomi would be unable to, to have the inheritance that her sons deserved because she didn't have a husband and Ruth didn't have a husband and so not only will this provide for Ruth's future and take care of Naomi until she dies but it will bring back into the family the inheritance that has been taken away from them so that the family can flourish and so that they can move on and so that they can be uh, prosperous and, and have a place in Israel so there's a lot at stake here so Boaz says, this kindness, what you've done now, that's, that's even greater than the first. He honors her for, for her risk. So he says, it's true, I'm a redeemer, but there's, a, there's, there's one that's closer than me. There's, there's somebody else that gets, he's got first, first dibs at this, right? So he says, but remain here until the morning, and if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until the morning, uh, and she got up 
when it was still dusky, right, before it was light enough for you to recognize people's faces is what the scriptures say. And Boaz told her, hey, go, go on home. Nobody needs to know that you were here. Um, but before you leave, uh, here, take this with you, right? And so he, he puts all, he says, six measures of barley. And so um, basically there's about 75 pounds of barley, which would have been enough for almost a year for, for Naomi and Ruth. So he just blesses her, right? He just pours this blessing on her. It was enough, apparently, that now he had to pick it up and put it on her, right? That's what the scripture says, that he put it on her. And then she went home. And she gets home with all of this barley. And she gets home to Naomi. And Naomi says to her, how did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. So this is Boaz's way of letting Naomi know, I'm going to take care of you. All right? No need to fear. No need to worry. And Naomi sees that and she says, oh, this man is going to take care of business. Right? I mean, she says, you just wait. He's not going to waste any time. He's going to take care of this matter today. And so that's the scene that we see in Ruth chapter 3, and what I'd like to do over the next few minutes is kind of unpack for us how this reveals to us the beauty and the depth of God's great love. Um, Pastor Mel has mentioned over the last couple of the weeks this word chesed, uh, and this is the word that uh, is used to describe God's, God's unique love for his covenant people. Uh, it's sometimes, and maybe the best translation in English is loving kindness. We see it in the Psalms where David says, your loving kindness is better than life. That's the word chesed that's used there. Um, but in Hebrew thought, this, this word is freighted. It, it carries a lot of weight. And there's really no, no adequate English translation. In Hebrew thought, in fact, this word encompasses the entire nature and character of God. And so it's a heavy, heavy word. And so it's as if you were to say the, the kindness, the love, the, the compassion, the loyalty, the grace, the mercy, the faithfulness of God. If you were to take all of those things and wrap them up into one concept, that's what chesed is. And in, in this chapter, when, when Boaz says this kindness is greater than the last what he says is this chesed that you have shown to Naomi is even greater than the last and so we have this concept woven all through the book of Ruth and the interesting thing about this is this chesed this kind of love in Hebrew thought always and only originates from God it's not something that man can produce. It always and only comes from God. It is divine in its origin. It is divine in its nature. And it flows from God to his covenant people. But catch this. Those who experience the hesed, the covenant love of God, then are brought into that experience and it flows from them to the people around them. And so what Boaz is saying is that you have received the hesed, you have received the loving kindness of God, and you have shown that to Naomi, you have shown that to your mother-in-law. And so we see this, this covenant love of God being expressed from God to his people and from his people to one another. It's woven all through this book. This idea of God's chesed, his covenant love, his care for his people. Uh, I, I first uh, became aware of this idea and, and what this word meant when I was in college. And I, I took an Old Testament class um, with a professor named Dr. Martindale, um, he was a great guy and, and a really great professor. Um, and we were going through um, part of the Joseph narrative. And he had done his entire doctoral thesis on the story of Joseph. And so he was really well-versed in, in that, that whole idea. And he was telling us a story one day in class about when he first was studying this and he was preparing for his, his thesis and he said, I had been immersed in this idea of chesed and, and God's covenant love and his kindness toward his people. And he said, one day 
that he and his wife were going, they went to the post office, and he said it wasn't a spiritual moment. He said, I don't even think I had, like, Christian radio on. He's, you know, so just, we were just in the car, and he said, we pulled up to the post office, and my wife got out to go into the post office to buy some stamps, and he said, as, as, while she was in the post office, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me, and he said to me, I will be kind to you. And he said, all of these thoughts and all of these things in my memory about what God's kindness means, he said, it just began to flood. And he said, the Spirit of God just, just moved into the car, right? He said, it was just heavy. And he said, I began to cry. And he said, my wife came back out and goes, well, I just bought stamps. What happened to you? What? you know, and so uh, he's telling this story in class. And um, Jennifer and I were newly married, and we were going through a particularly difficult season. Uh, I had worked for a company for a few years while I was in college, and the company was going out of business, and I didn't have a new job yet, and so I was without work and, uh, and didn't have a prospect for a new job yet, and we were college students, so we were poor, and uh, we didn't have much reserve, and so I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm going, this doesn't, you know, uh, we're, this is really red, there's no black ink, uh, and so we didn't know where we, how we we're going to pay our bills, we didn't know where, you know, what was going to happen, we, things were uncertain, there was a lot of stress, but as he was telling that story in class that day, I just really felt like that the Lord was speaking to me as well, I will be kind to you. So I went to Dr. Martindale after class and I said, man, thank you so much for sharing that story today. I said, I re that really resonates with me, I really feel like God wanted me to hear that today, that he's going to be kind. So I left class that day and Again, I've got all of this on my mind about, you know, what's going to happen with, with our financial situation. And I get home that day, and I check the mail, and in the mailbox that day, there was a check from our mortgage company, and they said, hey, we overestimated the amount of your property taxes. Here's your dividend from escrow. And so there's this check, and it's a pretty significant check that's sitting in the mailbox that we weren't expecting. And then I go in the house, and um, for those of you who are younger, we used to have these things called answering machines. <laughs> and so, so I go in the house, and the light is flashing on the answering machine. And I play the message, and it was a, a pastor friend of mine who I hadn't talked to in probably three or four years, and there's a message on the phone. He says, man, you've really been on my heart. I really feel like God is leading me to, and he said, I really want to ask you to come and preach for us and speak to our people. He, they had just started a brand new church. They were planting, and they were still really small, and he said, I want you to come and, and speak to our people and, and encourage them and commission us and, and help us to, to move forward into what God's wanting us to do. And so I was like, man, that sounds amazing. I would love to do that. Um, but as I said, they were brand new congregation. They were still meeting. Uh, at the, the pastor owned an overhead door company, and they were actually meeting in the warehouse in the back of the overhead door company. I mean, so, um, so it's a warehouse space. There's about 30 people. They're a brand new work, you know, and so uh, number one, you don't preach for money anyway, because that, if you do, that's, that's the completely wrong motivation in the first place. But secondly, in a room full of 30 people, even though you know that typically if you get asked to come speak somewhere, they bless you with something. I, I was expecting dinner after church, right? Um, but I at the end of the service, the pastor comes and he hands me this check, and it's way more than I would ever have expected from a church like five times that size. And so, uh, so again, I see that like the kindness of God being displayed. And and I'll tell you that this the. the put it all in a nutshell. Long story short, I was out of work for two months, and I made more money in those two months than I did when I was working. Now, I know it doesn't always work out that way. It does, there's not always checks showing up in the mail, and there's not always, you know, a, a phone call out of the blue that happens that way. And, and, and we've gone through other lean times in our marriage where, where it didn't work out like that, where we really had to, like, work the numbers and, you know, all you, the things that you've been through, you know. And, and God doesn't always do it in the same way, but God is always faithful. And in that moment, it was just a particular moment where God chose to show his kindness to us in a, in a significant 
significant way and in a way that we could never have taken any credit for, in a way that left no doubt that it was simply the chesed, the loving kindness of God, that he said, I'm going to sustain you when there's nothing else that will. And I want to let you know today that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, the loving kindness of God will sustain you. All you need to do is lay yourself at his feet in the way that Ruth laid herself at the feet of Boaz and say, "You spread your covering over me for you are a redeemer. So there's four things real quickly that I want to talk about, four aspects of God's love that we see on display here. The first is this, love is patient. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is often known as the chapter of love, we read it at weddings and and all of that kind of stuff all the time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says, the very first thing that it says about love is love is patient. (laughs) Kind of second. It's on the list, but patient. Love is patient, right? And so, uh, so we see that displayed all through the book of Ruth and in chapter 3 uh, in particular, right? Naomi is patient. She's known from the start who Boaz was. She's known that there was potential here to secure a future for Ruth and for herself as well. But she's not rushed things. She's not hurried things. She's not tried to force things to happen. She's waited until just the right moment. That's why she instructed Ruth to continue gleaning in his field. But she doesn't push the issue. She waits patiently. Ruth is patient, right? She doesn't go after younger men. She doesn't look out only for herself. She continues to work in the field of Boaz, and she continues to toil, and she continues to take care of her, mother, her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she just trusts that the Lord will provide for them. And she's going out and doing what she knows to do and waiting patiently. She doesn't take the first husband who comes along. She doesn't go after a younger man. She doesn't leave Naomi without help. She waits patiently. Reflecting the chesed, right? The loving kindness of God. Boaz is patient. In a moment where Ruth comes and lays herself at his feet and is completely vulnerable, he doesn't take advantage of the situation. He takes the proper steps and he honors Ruth in that moment. He's patient. So love is patient. Secondly, love is pure. The beauty of this passage is that the writer's language causes our mind to expect that something could occur between Ruth and Boaz. There's scandal and potential in every word. This culture wasn't so different from our own. Uh, This is during the time of the judges, and the way that Scripture describes this period of time is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. So so sexual immorality and sexual impurity was rampant in that culture, much as it is in ours. And so when, when they read this account, when they read what's happening here, their minds would have logically gone the same place that ours go, right? When we watch a movie, often over and over what we see depicted is a man in passion and a woman in passion, and they culminate and they consummate that relationship outside of the bonds of marriage. They're not patient. They're not pure. They give over. They give themselves to to the lust of their flesh. They give themselves to their passions, and they consummate that marriage. And we that not even a marriage. They consummate that relationship, and we see that over and over and over until it becomes commonplace to us. And we watch those things, and we forget that this is in opposition to God's law and God's best for His people. And so the original readers of Ruth would have read this account and they would have expected the same thing. And then all of a sudden it's turned on its head because we see exemplified here the purity of people who love God and who have placed him first and who are willing to wait for what God has for them. They are willing to wait for what is best and not settle for what is simply there and available in that moment. And so Boaz honors Ruth and he honors her purity and he honors the Lord and he sends her back home to her mother-in-law. 
There's an interesting parallel here as well that, that we don't usually catch because, well, because we're so far removed in time. But I don't know if you know much or anything about the history of the Moabite people. But there are some amazing parallels here. If you go back to Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 19, Lot and his family have been rescued after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Right? So God sends angels into the city of Sodom and he brings Lot and his family out. Lot's wife turns and looks back at the city, which they were instructed not to do, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. So Lot and his daughters are left and they escape up into the hills. And they're living alone up in the mountains. And Lot's daughters look around and go, there ain't no men here. Our prospects are pretty dim. There's no opportunity for us to have children. We're not going to be provided for. We're going to die up here alone. And then they hatch a plan, right? So we see women in dire straits making a plan for their future. It's exactly what we see in Ruth. So, Lot's daughters hatch this plan. And the older daughter says to the younger daughter, let's, let's get dad drunk. And when he goes in and he lays down tonight, I'll go in and I will lie with him. And then tomorrow we'll do the same thing and you can go in and you can lie down with him. And maybe we can have some, some children who will care for us. And Lot's younger daughter on the second night goes in and lays with her father, and the result of that union is a child named Moab. He's the father of the Moabite people. So the original readers of this would have known the history of this people. They would have known the reputation. They would have known the baggage and the weight that all of that carried. And now here is Ruth the Moabite laying herself at the feet of an Israelite man. She's got a plan to, to provide for her future. And they would have had all of this expectation about what's about to occur. And then that's not what happens at all. The purity and the honor of Ruth is upheld by Boaz. So Ruth goes back home, right? She goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, How did you fare, my daughter? <laughs> this, is so, this is so cool. The literal translation of that phrase is, Who are you, my daughter? So what Naomi is asking Ruth in that moment when she gets back home that morning, she's saying, are you still a, a widow in mourning? Are you still Ruth the Moabite or are you someone different today? What, what happened last night? Are, are you still in the same situation you were in or has something changed? Are you now Ruth the betrothed to Boaz? Are you now a, a, no longer a widow in mourning but a lady in waiting? Is there something different today? Has there been a transformation today? Have you been redeemed? Are you still identified with your past or are you now identified by something else? So love is patient, love is pure, love protects. Ruth protected Naomi. Naomi looked out for Ruth. Ruth, uh, Boaz protected them both, right, in his blessing. And, and over all of that, right, because chesed only emanates from God, we see God providing and caring for all of them. So love is patient, love is pure, love protects, and love has a price. Pastor Mel will unpack this some more next week as we go into chapter 4. But what we do see here in chapter 3 is that Boaz took Ruth under his protection. He did indeed spread his cloak over her. He did indeed bring her under his care. And he was agreeing to care for Naomi as well. He was committing to pay the cost, every cost associated with loving Ruth. He knew the history of her people. He knew that she was an outsider. He knew that that meant buying back a piece of property that he would never own, right? It would go to the, to the sons that, that Ruth bore that would bear the name of the deceased husband, right? And she, he knew that it meant taking care of Naomi for the rest of her life. He knew that it meant 
marrying Ruth. He knew all of the costs of that. He knew that there would be a cost to an Israelite man marrying a Moabite woman. He knew that that was frowned upon. He knew what people thought about Moabites, but he was willing to do it anyway. He knew what the cost was. He had counted the cost. He even knew that there was another redeemer, that he was second in line and there would be some obstacles to overcome, but he was willing to do it because he was willing to pay the price because of his love for Ruth. And can I tell you today that we have a Savior who was willing to pay the price for us, who spared no expense, who went to the greatest heights and the deepest depths, and there is no distance too far that he will not go to reach those that he loves and to display his loving kindness, his hesed to those that he has called his own. This is the kindness of our God. That those who have no right, who have no claim, who have no standing, may come to him and find mercy. The outsiders are brought in. The hopeless find hope. The helpless receive help. The hungry are fed. Blessing and mercy are given freely and abundantly to all who will come and lay themselves at the feet of the master and say to him, I am your servant. Spread your wings over me for you are a redeemer. Can I tell you today, it doesn't matter where you came from, right? It doesn't matter if you're a Moabite. You don't have to be identified by that any longer. You can come under the covering of a Savior who loves you. Moab, I mean, uh, Boaz would have been uh, well acquainted with this idea of those who were on the outside being brought in and cared for. You see, there's a story uh, when the Israelites cross over into the promised land and they are spying out the land and they send spies into the city of Jericho. And in Jericho, there is uh, a, a lady named Rahab. The Bible says that she was a harlot in the city of Jericho. But Rahab hid two of the spies from Israel on the roof of her house and then uh, sent the men of the city in a different direction when they came looking for them and allowed the spies to escape out the window of her house which was on the city wall and so the the spies were able to escape and get away because of the actions of this lady named Rahab and so when the Israel went in and destroyed the city of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down um this is a song you guys remember all right so uh, but when that happened Rahab was spared so Rahab, if you didn't know, is Boaz's mom. And so Boaz would have known exactly what it was like for those on the outside to be shown kindness. I'm certain that he would have heard his mother tell this story over and again about how her life was spared by Yahweh, by the Hesed, the loving kindness of God who brings those who are outside in and spreads his wings over them and cares for them. And so then Boaz gets the opportunity to live that out and to extend that same kindness to Ruth. And can I tell you that Rahab and Ruth become the only two women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. These are the ancestors of our Lord. It's not just Israel. It's us. We've been brought in. We've been made a part of his family. And God reminds us and he shows us and he displays that for us through these people and through these characters in Scripture. That it's not about where we came from. It's not about what we've done or could do. It is about God's loving kindness toward us that says those who are far away can be brought near. I have made a way for you. Jesus has paid the price for us. And yet I want you to know today that it doesn't matter how far you may think that you are or how 
unworthy you may feel or if you're sitting here thinking today God cannot love me I've done I've done too much I've been too Jesus counted the cost he knew exactly who you were he knew exactly this moment right his love is patient scripture says that at the just the right time Christ died for us and just as these characters in this story waited for the right moment, God has been waiting patiently for this moment. There's not an accident that you're here today. And the Lord is asking you to come and to lay yourself at his feet. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. Spread your covering over me. Spread your wings over me. You're my redeemer. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me today. God, thank you. Thank you for your incredible, amazing, scandalous love for us. that is patient and pure that covers and protects us that counts the cost makes provision so that we might be redeemed so that we might be rescued so that we might have a new name I pray God right now that you would begin to tug at hearts and that those who are far away would be brought near to you that they would surrender themselves and lay themselves at your feet and say, Jesus, make me yours today. In your name I pray. Amen. If you could keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute. Um, we won't be here too much longer, but I want to give you an opportunity. If that's you today, you say, Todd, I want to I lay myself at Jesus' feet today. I want to say, God, I'm yours. If that's you, could you just raise your hand and let me see where you're at? Thank you. Over here on my right. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. I see you over on my left. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I'm yours today. Wait just a second longer. Anybody else? Thank you. I see you there. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what I'd like to invite you to do. We're going to pray a simple prayer together. Uh, I'd like to invite those of you who raise your hands to pray it with me, and then I want to invite all of you who are here in the room to pray along with them. Just going to pray a simple prayer and submit ourselves to Jesus and say, God, I'm yours. So let's pray this together. Jesus, thank you that you counted the cost and that you were willing to pay the ultimate price for me. I lay myself at your feet today. I surrender my life to you. Spread your covering over me. From this day forward, let me live my life for your glory, for your purpose, and for your kingdom. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for loving me. I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with them today. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, here's what I'd like to invite you to do. There's some cards in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you would take a few minutes and fill that card out. Um, we just want to be able to be a, an encouragement and a part of what God's doing in your life and help you to grow in your faith. Um, and so if you could fill that out, or if you're not close to a card, or if you're watching online uh, and you prayed that prayer today, you can text the word salvation to the number 555-888, and then we'll follow up with you from there. Uh, I promise we're not going to bug you or, or you know, we just want to be a part of what God's doing in your life. We're so excited that you've made the choice and the decision to follow Jesus. 
and, and we want you to experience all that life with Jesus has to offer you. We want to help you grow and to learn what it means to follow Jesus and to walk with him and to be fully surrendered to him. And so if you could fill out that card or, or text that uh, salvation to 555-888, we would be honored to walk with you as you start on this journey. And so here's what we're, we're going to do now. Uh, this is our custom here at the Summit. If you're not a part of our church or are new here, um, we like to respond to the word that God has spoken and to what he's done here by singing and giving him honor and praise together one more time. And so I'd like to ask you to stand and we're going to sing together. Uh, don't be in a hurry. We'll only be here just a few more minutes. <clears throat> Can we take this time to celebrate the great love of our God? and to remember the depths of his great love and the price that he has paid for us and to just tell him thank you. Can we do that together? All right, so let's sing together one more time. As we do that, the prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage. If you have anything that you would like to pray about today, we would love to, to, to share your burdens with you and to agree together with you about those needs. So as we sing, you can come and, and we can pray with you today. Let's rejoice in his great love. Amen. I love you. God bless you.